Welcome to the Friday edition of Transformation Radio. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. Greg Schaefer, phase two. Want to give out a big praise Jesus, hallelujah, amen to Mike Saba and Liggett Gator. It's been great getting to know you guys, working with you. Praise Jesus. Our reading in the New Testament for today 
will be from the book of Acts, chapter 21, verse 37, and we'll go through chapter 22, verse 16. The starting point of Paul's defense, as we shall see, was his identification with the Jews. He associated his conversion with Ananias. The turning point of Paul's defense was his use of the word Gentiles. Had he not used that word, Paul might have been set free. But the whole burden of his life was to reach the Gentiles. Paul was arrested because of religious bigotry, pure and simple. His people did not realize that God was doing a new thing in the world. Now the finishing point was the threat of a scourging, which Paul avoided by asserting his Roman citizenship. From then on, it would be one hearing after another and a delay of two years in Caesarea. But God was working out His will in His time, and Paul was willing to wait. And now let's begin today's reading in the New Testament. July 3rd, the New Testament. Acts chapter 21, verse 37, through chapter 22, verse 16. As Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, May I have a word with you? Do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? No, Paul replied. I am a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Please, let me talk to these people. The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the Christians from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. As I was on the road, approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, What should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, Get up and go into Damascus. And there you will be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law, and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, 
Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment I could see him. Then he told me, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Today we're reading from Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6, where we read about blessing. You know, God enjoys blessing your life, but you must be blessable. That means having discernment, avoiding the steps that lead to sin. See, blessing involves delight. The Word guides your walk and rejoices your heart. Blessing involves dependence. Your spiritual roots go deep into the resources of God's grace. We'll read about perishing as well as blessing. How tragic that anyone is perishing when Jesus offers abundant life. The psalm starts with blessed, but it ends with perish. And the choice is yours. And now from the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do but not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Proverbs 18, verses 11 and 12. The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense, they imagine it to be a high wall of safety. Haughtiness goes before destruction. Humility precedes honor. Wasting away I finally realize I 
if you have a Bible with you, uh, please open to John chapter 15 uh, this weekend. John chapter 15 will be our text. And uh, while you're doing that, let me set up our conversation this way. Uh, Several years ago, my son invited a little friend over from school and uh, they were playing in the creek near our house. And around lunchtime, they came running up and said, we found a snake. We want you to catch it. And so I went running down to the creek and we were looking for this little water snake and they, you know, kept describing it, kept getting bigger and bigger as they told me about it. And I couldn't find it anywhere. And so I said, I think it's safe to get back in the water. So they're splashing around and, and one of them said to the other, hey, let's baptize each other. And so Matthew baptizes my son Silas, which he needed. And uh, then my son said, let me pray for you before I baptize you. I got the whole thing on video. I'm sitting on the bank just laughing my head off. And my son prays this prayer. He's like, dear God, please, you know, wash away all of Matthew's sin and help him to never sin again. And I'm like, that's impossible. And so then... Then he, he gets ready to baptize him, and Matthew just kind of gets out of my son's grip and runs up on the bank. And he gets to me, and he's got this strong Kentucky draw, and he's like, Mr. Weiss, I'd rather be a sinner than be in that water with that snake. And I said, hey, man, I don't, I don't blame you at all. You know, fist bump, that's all I can do. But I have, I have enjoyed uh, so much since Easter, just hearing the backstories of so many people who've come to Christ recently. And I, I'm just a sucker for transformation stories. Never gets old to see where people were, then they meet Jesus, and here's where they are today. And I was on a flight this week to Florida for a meeting, and I was reading this in-flight magazine, and they had this story about this guy who had lost 400 pounds. And I, I just got drawn into it, and it talked about how after he lost 400 pounds, he ran this 5K race, and then after he ran the 5K race, he ran a half marathon, and then after he ran the half marathon, he worked up this courage to ask out the girl from his high school that he always wanted to ask out. And I, I just felt like giving him a standing ovation there on the flight. I just love, just love hearing stories, reading stories about people who overcome different obstacles in life. And several years ago, I was sitting in the recliner at our house watching uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Have you ever seen this show? And they were, they were building a house for my college roommate. And I didn't know it was coming. And I'm just like, I called Allison and I'm like, this, that's CJ. That's who I went to college with. And he and his wife have three sons, all of them different spectrums, different forms of autism. And so they just need a special house. And they built this incredible state-of-the-art house. And I found myself just inching closer and closer to the TV. Because, again, I love seeing people who have just been knocked down in life get that second chance to stand back up again. And I think that's why I love this season of the year. When the deadness of winter fades and it's replaced with the life and the color and the beauty of spring. And even more so when the deadness of the human heart is replaced with the life-giving love of the Father. Man, I never get tired, never get tired of having a front row seat to that kind of transformation. And that's exactly what happened in the life of my friend Jay. This is his story in his own words. My name is Jay Hensley and I was baptized on March 16th of 2014. I was taken to church as a child by friends I was introduced to Jesus Christ, but I failed to accept Him. I strayed away from church because I felt like some of the people didn't like me. They made me feel like they thought they were better than. My brother introduced me to drugs at a young age. Him and his friend did that. And what I remember about that is they laughed and they paid attention to me. Doing the drugs and drinking felt good. 
And I wanted to feel good all the time. And I thought that I should. I thought that's what life's about. It took me 20 years to find that all I ever needed was God. The day of my baptism, I had fears that I wouldn't be able to live up to what God expected of me. And I, you know, I talked to Greg about it. I talked to my sponsor about it. And they helped me to realize that you're not going to be perfect. None of us are going to be perfect. We're going to make wrong decisions. It's okay. It really touched me. He said that prayer, and then he dunked me. And when I came up, I felt anew. Today, things are different for me. Got a lot of peace going on. It's easier to live that way, to know that my Savior's got me. Jesus Christ has got me. He's going to take care of me regardless of what happens. As long as I'm willing to seek God and Jesus Christ, I'm going to be okay. God's got this. My name is Jay. I believe Jesus is the Christ, and he saved my life. Again, never, yeah, you can clap for Jay. That's good. But I hope it never gets old for any of us, seeing people come to understand the grace of God. That's why I think it's important for all of us to be reminded that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. See, Jesus isn't into behavior modification. Jesus is into total life transformation from the inside out. And he knows that like the flowers and the trees outside, You were created to grow. You were designed to thrive and flourish and live and not die. So the question for us today is how do we avoid the spiritual season of winter? How do we live in this constant state of spiritual spring where we're always growing, where we're always thriving in our relationships, always flourishing in our occupations, always in bloom? In John chapter 15, Jesus offered this insight on that subject. Beginning in verse 1, he said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit, and then he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit. You have already been pruned, notice that, for greater, greater fruitfulness by the message I have given you. So, remain in me. And I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful apart from me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. So the Father, Jesus said, is the gardener. And Jesus said that he was the vine and we're the branches. That's our role. And the goal is that we bear as much spiritual fruit as possible. Now the spiritual fruit he's referring to is listed for us in Galatians chapter 5, where Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus said that if we remain in him, then he will cultivate and grow those spiritual fruits in our lives and weed out anything that threatens the growth of those spiritual fruits in our lives. In simpler terms, Jesus makes us this promise today. He says, if you remain in me, then I will produce fruit in you. I don't know anyone who doesn't want more love, more joy, more peace, more patience in their life. 
And ten times, ten times in ten verses, Jesus uses this word, remain, remain, remain. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Jesus says that's the key to having more love, more joy, more patience in our lives. But the question is, how do we remain? What does he mean by that? Let me start it this way. Have you ever watched a caterpillar, or do you remember when you were a kid holding a caterpillar? Now, can you imagine a caterpillar climbing to the end of a tree branch and saying, I believe I can fly, right? I mean, it just isn't going to... Church in church without R. Kelly, right? All right? You just have to have this mindset that says what? No, no, if a caterpillar wants to become a butterfly, he surrenders to the process of metamorphosis. He surrenders his life completely to the act of transformation. When we become followers of Jesus... That's just the first step in the process of transformation, surrender, getting connected to the life-giving vine and staying connected to the life-giving vine are two totally different acts and neither happens through sheer willpower. See, we're saved when we surrender our lives to the transforming power of God and we grow when we surrender our lives to the transforming power of God. Dan Webster, a theologian, clarifies the distinction this way. He says, commitment is me saying, I'll do better. Surrender is allowing God to do his best in me. Commitment is me trying. Surrender is me trusting. Commitment is me striving. Surrender is me submitting. Commitment is me writing big, impressive verbal checks, whereas surrender unleashes the grace that can actually cash them. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches on the vine. And in order for us to have more love, more joy, more peace in our lives, we have to remain connected to him. We have to surrender our lives to him on a daily basis. And here's how we do that. I think it comes down to three words. And the first word is the word feed. Friends, it's all about what we feed our minds early in the day. People who live great lives... Think great thoughts. This is why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, you know, simply stated, that when you want to eat healthy, you have to clean out the refrigerator and pantry, and you have to replace Pop-Tarts with fruit. When, the, when you want to think healthy thoughts, you have to clean out your mind. And replace old thoughts with new thoughts. Now, the challenging part of that is that your brain and my brain, we don't have a delete button for our memory. Your greatest enemy today might be your memory. Because your brain was designed to be a filing cabinet that stores memories. So if your mind is filled with pornographic thoughts, greedy thoughts, pessimistic thoughts, sarcastic thoughts hateful thoughts, you're going to need God's power to help you think new thoughts. David writes in Psalm 139, search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path everlasting. Ask God to help you take a mental inventory of all the corrupt ideas you have in your mind and then ask him to help you restock the shelves of your mind with productive thoughts. Paul writes in Philippians chapter four, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. It's not easy, is it? 
Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Man, that's not easy in our world. He said, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You see, if the first thing that you tune into first thing in the morning is your Facebook page and there's a negative post on there, or if you, the first thing, the first thing in the morning is you watch a political talk show and they make a negative comment about the economy, it's tough to start your day with a negative thought and then have a positive day. Jesus said in John 15, I've told you this so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. See, Jesus wants your day to start with joy and end with joy. And it won't. It won't unless you feed your mind something joyful early in the day. This is Andrew White, known to some as the vicar of Baghdad. He's an Anglican priest. He grew up in England. And not long after the war broke out in Iraq, he was diagnosed with MS. His friends and family tried to convince him to come back to England, but he felt this strong tug in his heart to stay and serve the people he'd grown to love there in Baghdad. At the height of the war, he baptized 13 people in Saddam Hussein's pool at the palace where he used to live. And the next day, 11 of those people were killed for converting to Christianity. 1,097 people that this man has baptized have been martyred for their faith, for their transformation. He spoke here in Lexington on UK's campus recently, and I went to hear him, and at the end of it, he did a Q&A. And he was asked by a student, how do you do it? I love the practicality of this question. How do you, with MS, violence, constant threat of persecution around you, how do you keep going? I'll never forget his response as long as I live. He struggled to stand up because of the effects of MS. And once he got his balance, he held onto the back of the chair. And no one saw this coming. He just started singing that children's song. You know the one about joy? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And then he went from that song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And it was kind of this weird, goofy moment. Because here's this Cambridge-educated man singing a children's song about having joy in his heart. And yet at the same time, it was also very touching. Because he claimed this is what God used to get him through his day. Just a simple song about joy. Jesus said, I've told you this. Why? Because Jesus wants us to be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Joy is a fruit of God's spirit at work in us. And it took a man with MS to remind me that Jesus produces joy in those who stay connected to him early in the day. Next word is the word focus. Yes, it starts with what we feed our mind early in the day, but friends, then the challenge is we have to focus on what we feed our mind throughout the rest of the day. I taught a few boys this week how to ride a motorcycle. And I told them, I said, boys, wherever your eyes go, that's where the motorcycle is going to go. If you look at a ditch, you're going to end up in a ditch. You look at a tree, you're going to hit a tree. And the same is true for our daily lives. Listen, your life will go where your thoughts take you. Another way of saying this is what you choose to focus on has your attention. And whatever has your attention has you. If you spend your day thinking about how to get even with someone who has hurt you, hey, angry thoughts turn into angry days. If you spend your day constantly comparing yourself with someone else, 
Jealous thoughts turn into jealous days. What you choose to focus on has your attention. And whatever has your attention, it has you. Years ago, I met with a man who went to Amsterdam and allowed himself to experience every pleasure money could buy. I mean, from drugs to prostitutes, he denied himself no worldly experience in an attempt to fill this huge void in his heart. But once he became a Christian, he was hoping that that memory would die, that the guilt would go away. And he was surprised when it didn't. And I told him, listen, you can't resist a thought, but you can replace a thought. The thought of being in Amsterdam and what he did there was affecting his marriage. And I said, you can't resist that thought. It's going to keep coming, but you can replace it. I said, I want you to go on a mission trip. You need another cross-cultural experience to replace the cross-cultural experience that you've been on. That's why Colossians 3, 2 says, let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't just think about things down here on earth. See, sometimes we have to replace worldly experiences with heavenly ones. When past experiences fight for airplay in our memories, we have to remind ourselves, hey, that's who I used to be. But that's not who I am in Christ today. Isaiah 26.3 says, you, God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. My dad used to say all the time, if you can worry, you can meditate. And he's right. When worry, when we worry, we take a negative thought and we just turn it over and over again. When you meditate, you're just taking a positive thought and you're turning it over and over again in your mind. That's why it's so important to feed your mind truth from God's word early in the day so that you have something to focus your mind on throughout the rest of the day. People ask me from time to time, John, how much time do you spend with God each day? And my answer to that question is always all day. I mean, God is always with me and he's always with you. So the third word that I want us to talk about today is the word flow. I mean, when you feed your mind truth early in the day, when you focus on that truth the rest of the day, your life will flow. There will be this spiritual, gravitational, life-giving downhill pull towards Jesus because Jesus is always with you. Wherever you go, that's where Jesus is. And he wants to be there. So if you're going to the grocery store, if you're pumping gas, if you're making a deposit at the bank, if you're working out at the gym, cooking dinner, folding laundry, Jesus is always with you. Friends, our spiritual life isn't separate from the rest of our lives. All we have is a spiritual life. I love how John Ortberg defines this. He says, we often assess how spiritual we are by how much we're pursuing our distorted list of what counts towards spiritual growth instead of by our fullness of life, working with joy, tipping generously, listening to someone patiently, eating gratefully, reading quietly, playing happily. It all counts. Every moment is a chance to live in the flow of the Spirit. So whatever you're doing, wherever you're doing it, and whoever you're doing it with, God is always with you and you're always with Him. Psalm 139 says, I can never escape from your Spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. See, you will feel more alive 
if you recognize just how involved God wants to be in the ebb and flow of your daily life. So let me challenge you. When you go on a hike in the woods, invite him to walk with you and speak to you in the settled peace and quiet of nature. Just lie down on your back and look up at the moving clouds and hear the God of the universe say to you, he who forms the mountains creates the wind and reveals his thoughts to man. He who turns dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth. Man, the Lord God Almighty is his name. When you go for a run on a rainy day, invite God to be your pace. Invite him to be the breath that fills your lungs. Invite him to be the coach that pushes you past your own limitations. And then hear him say to you, strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. And he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there. In the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. The long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Or when you're playing with your kids or your grandkids, helping them with homework, coaching them, feeding them, bathing them, putting them to bed at night or listening to them talk about their day. Ask God to shape you as you shape them and then hear him say to you, and this is what will happen when you on your part will obey these directives, keeping and following them. God on his part, you can count on this, he will keep the covenant of loyal love that he made with your ancestors. Friends, he will love you, he will bless you, and he will increase you. Or when you're sitting in traffic, or you're stuck at another airport with layover, or you're at work swinging a hammer or, or pouring over spreadsheets, or fielding a complaint from a customer, and you've just reached your limit, you've hit your emotional threshold, your ceiling, invite God to flood your heart with patience. And hear him say to you through his word, love, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Here's a tough one. Practice playing second fiddle. What do you mean by that? Put others first. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant of his return. Don't quit in hard times. God's people remain in hard marriages. We remain in hard jobs. We remain in hard circumstances. We don't quit. How do we get through them? Pray. Pray all the harder. Another way to get your eyes off yourself? Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. This world would change if we did that. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. And share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Man, don't be stuck up. Lexington needs that message, doesn't it? 
Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. My kids need to hear that. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, man, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. When you roll up your sleeves and you're serving the poor, you raise your hands in authentic heart-crying worship, when you wrap up in a blanket for a nap, Friends, I'm telling you, there isn't a single activity under the sun that you ever do alone in isolation. Wherever you are, that's where God is. And that's why Paul challenged us. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and just place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. So don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you and develops well-formed maturity in you. I guess I would just sum it up this way. The main measure of your devotion to God is not your daily devotional life, but simply your life. All of it. Every part of it. So invite Him into the flow of every part of your everyday. Now, if there's one thing in the course of the day that threatens our growth more than anything else, it's sin. It's in rocket science. But sin... It's not a popular concept in our culture today. As a matter of fact, the famous Oxford Dictionary decided this year to add words like twerk and selfie to its pages. But at the same time, decided to remove the word sin from the dictionary. Because who are we, they said, who are we to label people's behavior? Who are we to determine if someone's actions are good or bad? Self-determination defines behavior today. I realize it's not popular. But I love you in this city enough to tell you this. Sin is what kills people. Sin is threatening all of us. It is a weed that chokes out the life and fruit God wants to develop in everyone's heart. I read this week Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. Let me give you the summation. One of the best ways to make the list is to take something that God says is not good for people and promote it as being good for people. And our culture will say, you're influential. One of the fastest ways to make the list is to take your clothes off in public or to do something illegal in public. See, we live in a culture that promotes sin. And you know what sin does? It promotes death every time. We live in a culture that promotes spiritual winter, deadness, year-round. I would love, I would love to read a magazine that says, here are the 100 most faithful people. 
It wouldn't sell many copies. I know that. But here are the 100 most committed. Here are the 100 most surrendered. Here are the 100 most growing people. Here are the people who in the midst of difficult circumstances, they didn't give up. They didn't throw in the towel. Instead, they jumped into the flow of God's presence. They jumped into the flow of God's power. They remained in Christ. And Christ said, if you remain in him, he will remain in you. Wow. What a promise. It's exactly what happened to my friend Samantha. When she went through a tragic loss. This is her story in her own words. My name is Samantha Mudd, and I was baptized March 23rd, 2014. Growing up, I always knew that God was a part of my life. I knew that He was there, but I didn't necessarily always need Him. I called myself a Christian, but I I didn't have a deep relationship with Him. My senior year in college, I found out that my sister had cancer. She was 17. They told us that she had about six months to live, and unfortunately, she didn't even make it that long. It threw me into a spiral. I, I reached out to him because I needed him, but at the same time, I was rebelling from him. I was running away from him. I finally had a moment that I realized, although I feel like I'm getting through my grieving process, I'm still not happy. There's still this huge hole in my heart. And initially I thought, that's my sister. It makes sense. She's gone. I miss her. But what I came to realize, the more that I talked to God, His answer to me was, Sam, it's been me all along. I've been here waiting for you. I just need you to let me in. When I finally made the decision to completely submit myself to Him, it was just clarity. Clarity is the best word to describe how I felt. Everything made sense, and I could finally hear what he was saying to me because I finally allowed myself to listen to him. When I came up out of that water, I knew it wasn't always going to be an easy road, but the one thing that I do know without a doubt is that he's going to be there, and he's going to get me through it. My name is Samantha. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, and he saved my life. Just think about how many people this morning, the day after the derby, are waking up in hotel rooms with a fog of regret because they chose to disconnect themselves from the vine, the life-giving vine of the Father. They chose to unplug themselves from the life-giving love of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul said, let your roots grow down deep into him and draw nourishment from him. So you will grow in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. Remain in him, he said. And he will remain in you. The best way to do that, that I've discovered, is to feed your mind truth early in the day. Focus your mind on that truth the rest of the day. And then your whole life every day will just live in the flow of the Spirit. And when your life lives in the flow of the Spirit, Jesus said, you will have joy. And I don't know anyone who doesn't want more joy in their life. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. God, the hard edge sometimes is difficult for us to stomach, but we know we need it. 
So God, I pray that all of us would boldly, courageously wake up every day realizing the first thing we need to do is be in your presence and hear from you. Hear your truth so that it can direct us the rest of the day. Father, if we need to love our wives the way you love the church, God, help us to absorb that truth. If we need to encourage our husbands the way you have encouraged us, God, help us to absorb that truth. If we need to focus on lost people, serve the poor, whatever truth it is we take from the pages of Scripture early in the day, God, I pray that we wouldn't be dismissive. I pray that we wouldn't run from that. I pray, God, that we would just metabolize that into our systems so that we could grow and become the strong followers of your Son that you want us to be. I thank you for the bride of Christ, the church throughout Lexington today. God, may you bless every church whose doors are open and filled with people. We love you and we pray this in your son's name. Amen.